Sales Tuners, Episode 47, David Duncan, Vice President of Sales at Epos Now. Because sales is 99% depression, 1% elation, and I love that feeling when you close that deal. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Baylor Barbie, who said, when my body gets tired, my mind says, this is where winners are made. When my mind gets tired, my heart says, this is where champions are made. Joining me today on the show may just be the first guest I've ever been afraid of. David Duncan is the vice president of sales for Epos Now, a leader in cloud-based point-of-sale solutions. He was the first employee of the company and built the sales team from the ground up at the age of just 22. Now, six years later, he's led the company into international expansion, writes for Sales Hacker, and spends his free time inside of a cage fighting other people. We even get into a bit of a discussion about the upcoming Mayweather and McGregor fight. Before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to five-star iTunes reviewer RPNGA, who said, I like to listen to podcasts during my drive time daily, especially sales podcasts. They help me refine my craft and it helps me start the day with the right mindset. The problem is there's a lot of noise out there. Some sales podcasts will stay at the 10,000 foot level and only talk in the what of sales and never get the listener to the how. Others are blatantly selling their products. Because of this, I have a select few that make the cut and listen to on a weekly basis. After listening to sales tuners for the first time, I immediately subscribed. This podcast makes the cut. Every episode cuts through the fluff and delivers something I can use right away. The host and his guests are experienced from the front lines of sales, and their advice is practical, tested, and proven. If you are in sales and want to stay at the top of your game, you need to listen to Sales Tuners. Dude, thank you so much. Please shoot me an email so I can get you the sales book of your choice or a free month of the business book summary service. Read it for me. As I was checking the stats from the last few episodes, we have had big time listenership from the UK, Australia, Argentina, and even Sierra Leone. Here in the States, outside of Indiana, where I'm from, I'm getting a lot of subscribers from Illinois, California, Texas, and Michigan. I just want to thank all of you guys for the support. It truly means a lot to me that you take the time out to listen to the show. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 47. But now let's get to the conversation where David talks about how he got involved with Brazilian jiu-jitsu and how that led to him entering his first cage fight. The more time I spent in, you know, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym, um, you know, there were other kind of martial arts styles being practiced like kickboxing, tie boxing, wrestling, and you know, then kind of UFC started getting big around like six, five, five six years ago as well. So um, it kind of, kind of hit it before it came completely mainstream. But, you know, I was just going along like, two times a week, three times a week. Then I started going you know, four or five times a week. And, you know, I was just getting a bit obsessed at one point. And, you know, at one point I've been doing it three or four years. And you know, a lot of my friends or the people I've been training with were, were fighting every, every two or three months. So, you know, I need to do this before you know, my career gets too serious or before, you know, I just have the, I don't have the time to do it. So it's something I always wanted to do. So 
you know, I'd had boxing bouts before back in university, you know, five or six boxing fights. And, and uh, I thought, you know what, before the end of this year, I'm, I'm going to get one of these um, semi-professional cage fights done. Uh, I didn't really want to go down the amateur route because there was, was just rolling around really wrestling. So <laughs> sure. in semi-professional, you know, it's full contact, headshots, etc., whilst standing up on, on the ground. So, you know, I, I had a good mentor or a good, a good coach for that as well, uh, a guy called Ian Martell, who's now ranked in the top 10 in the UK um, for, uh, for MMA. And so I spent a lot of time with him, one-to-one coaching sessions, some of the top boxers in Norwich in the UK as well, you know, tra- just training with some of the best guys. And then, like, the opportunity came around, like, literally um, four weeks' notice, do you, do you want to fight this guy? He's coming, coming from Romania. And I was like, you know what, let's do it. So literally switched into gear. It was probably one of the most stressful things, not stressful things, but, you know, mentally um, agonizing things I've ever done, put myself through, um, especially, you know, with in front of your family, in front of your, your friends, your work colleagues. It is, it's one of the most exciting, but also, you know, anxious things you can put yourself through. But to kind of come, a, come along and, and win that, and then, you know, go through that whole process. It's just like closing your first multi-million dollar sale. Uh, that, that's, that's what it kind of feel like. And, there's, you know, nothing can feel like that. You know, I've, been, I've done so many adrenaline rush things in my life. But, you know, fighting a guy man to man in a cage you know, is probably one of the most exciting things I've ever done. And I definitely, you know, advise anyone out there who's, you know, kind of doing boxing or MMA at the moment who's not sure about it. They just go along for the training sessions and a bit of sparring at the end. I definitely you know, recommend just, just trying it once, even if it's in some back alley fight club, <laughs> kind of a San Francisco street, whatever, but, you know, just put yourself through it. It, it, it makes you a stronger and more confident person. Just for the record, uh, Seal Sooners does not endorse fighting in a back alley. I just want to make sure I put that out there. But uh, uh, so one of the things, David, that you said that really fascinated me was, you you had to do it. You had to go for it before you you got to uh, you know into your professional career. And it's you know the the video that I've seen of of you fighting like you ha- you had a black eye during the fight. And I'm like, man, how is this guy leading a, a sales team internationally and like potentially going into client meetings with black eyes? So I, I, I'm glad that uh, you threw that out there. So a little bit of current events: Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor, they just sealed the deal for their fight. Any thoughts on that uh, or what you think we might see? I'm looking more. I'm looking forward more to the build up than the actual fight, if I'm yeah. honest. I think that it's gonna be it's gonna be a Mayweather win. It's gonna be an easy win. You know, that's what he does. He's a professional boxer, 49 I don't know. It, it's a spe- it's gonna be a spectacle. I mean yeah. if you want if I'm, I'm gonna pay $125 to see it. I know what the result's gonna be, but I'm still gonna pay the pay per view to, to to watch it anyway. But do you think we're gonna get the traditional twelve round money Mayweather just dancing around not doing anything for the the whole time being on defense? I did watch this interesting um, show on Mayweather and how he fights very strategically, you know, constantly watching the clock, throwing off a few shots here and there to put off his opponent, a lot of feints, etc. He He does get in the, in, in the mind of the opponent in the ring, but I think where McGregor really stands out is his kind of pre-fight warm-up. That's kind of why I'm looking forward to it because well, two, two months away now, um, you know, the spectacle and the build-up should be uh, should be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be fun for sure. So let's get down to business. As, as you know, David, in this show, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success, and, and you've had quite a bit of it. But let's start with today. What is uh, Epos, and, and how does someone decide to buy from you today? 
EPOS now is a world leading a world leading point of sale provider. So we sell point of sale systems, which you know you'll see in any restaurant, cafe, retail store, fashion store, etc. It's going to take your money, do your stock control, um, you know, handle all your customer employee engagement, etc. So every business who wants to be successful needs one. You know, because without it, you're going to be using a manual cash register. And that's kind of, you know, my role, which is to lead the global sales strategy for the business. And I'm actually heading up the, the U.S. office at the moment in Orlando, Florida. So we're going to build back up to this because your, your story is pretty fascinating, how you started at just 22 years old. And we're going, to, we're going to get to that. But how you built this the entire way. But let's go all the way back. And, and how did you get into sales? How did you start this career? I went to university. You know, did a history degree, did a law conversion degree. You know, I'd been really focused on being a, a top lawyer when I was growing up. You know, I was told by my parents, my teachers, you know, you can be, you can be this, you can be that. You know, you, you really want to be in law, you really want to be in medicine, you really want to be in banking. And then you kind of get to university and you graduate, and then you realise, hang on a minute, there are no real high-paying law jobs out there, really, unless you went to like a really top university, like the equivalent of a like Ivy League university, so either Oxford, Oxford or Cambridge over there. So, and it's really competitive. There's like 300 job applications per position. So I actually came across this guy um, called Adam. He, he was one of my best friends, Adam Ward. And he introduced me to um, this other guy called Jason Heavens, who's the CEO of Epos now. Initially, it was just reselling someone else's software and someone else's hardware. I came along because he needed someone to just answer the phones, take a few orders maybe do the sales. They didn't really understand how it would even work back then. I was literally working for $200 a week just packing boxes. And we maybe did like one or two sales a, a month. But I stuck around because, you know, Jason was a, was a very inspiring and motivating individual. And I just graduated at 22 and I was having a bit of fun, having a bit of a kind of, I was thought, you know what, take a bit of a gap year. If things don't work out, move back to London. So that's kind of how I got into it. And, and then like the journey really, really started from then. You kind of said it, you, you saw this as almost like a gap year. If it didn't succeed, you just go back to London. But you were 22 years old. I mean, you were the first employee of this company. What was it like to actually try to create the sales engine that, that now has, has become really successful? What was it like in those early days? There wasn't really any kind of help or anything, really. There wasn't any external guides or content on the internet. Like there, there is now. There wasn't really any like sales hacker or many podcasts or audiobooks like that. So Obviously, a lot of it in the first year was learning off Jason, you know, who was a fantastic salesman and had the basics nailed. So obviously, after the first year, we had the first three or four employees. So he'd kind of leave me to it. He'd be focused on other areas of the business. So there was a lot of kind of baptism by fire and trial and erroring. And we didn't even have a CRM in the first year. We just had a spreadsheet and eventually we migrated over to Zoho after a year. But um it, it, it was very intense in the first year. It was literally, you come in, uh, there was no recurring revenue model or anything. And it was like, we had to hit like, you know, 50, 60 grand a month. Or, you know, if we just couldn't afford to take a loss. There was no venture capital. It had been started with life savings. So um, it, 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 we, as the first guys in, and all the first guys who came in, like the first three or four salespeople are now like in senior, lead, senior positions in other companies. And and it was uh, they were all like 22, 23 years old. So it was an amazing experience for us because together we we built literally something from nothing. So the traditional model to selling POS in the UK, you know, from the Micros, um, you know, the Point Ones, the Zonals was for a reseller channel. 
who where you'd have like local resellers, a local guy, a man and van who'd be in a town and he'd kind of come out and sell you a POS system. Now that would set you back from anywhere from four to five thousand dollars a terminal because you know he only probably sold like two a month, so he needs to pay his mortgage, he needs to live. Um, you know, he can't go beyond that area due to reseller agreements or travel or support. So that's kind of how it was done. So when we came into the market with a system that was you know, $1,500 all in, cloud-based, not locally stored, and we could sell to the whole of the UK. Yeah, they wanted to see a demo, but they weren't just like automatically writing a check for you. So you, what, what were you, how were you converting them? So the first thing would happen is that we'd want to qualify them. You know, we'd qualify, you know, whether they've got a problem, a need, is it an existing business, is it a new business? Are they changing over from a current system or are they just buying a new system? So qualify all of that, like, priority, budget, challenges, etc. Uh, we'd then go for like a demo instantly. So we'd, rather than like traditional companies are like, yeah, I'll get my person, I'll get my rep to give you a call back in like two days. Like other competitors were booking appointment on-site face-to-face meetings two or three, four, five days in advance. We were getting them on the demo right away because it was a cloud-based system, not locally stored. So we could demo our product online. We were one of the only companies that could do that. You said that your competitors were selling this for five dollars to $6,000 per terminal. You guys were coming in at $1,500 to $2,000. Was there anybody that was thinking, well, these guys can't be legit because it doesn't cost enough, right? It, it's supposed to cost more. Were you, were you overcoming that challenge at all? Yeah, I mean that was that 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 was that was a common that was a common objection. Um, but once they see the software, it's kind of like you know, and and that's the advantage of selling. Like you don't you don't have to go out to face to face just for a fifteen hundred dollar deal. Like it's worth going out to face to face for a five grand deal. But once they see the software, it, it kind of like goes, look, it's there. You can see it before you buy it. When you're selling, say, oh, we'll do your branding and advertising, and it's not really a tangible product, it's difficult to overcome that objection because it's like you get what you pay for. But when you can literally see case studies, the picture of the hardware that you're getting and the software on a live demo, it's not as hard as you think to overcome that objection. So, um, you know, and, 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 and usually you've also got to think that we targeted a completely different market than traditional point of sale. Jim, because traditional point of sale systems were used by chains, enterprise level businesses who had IT managers, operations managers, people who really knew their way around IT systems. And small businesses could never afford this. Like okay. they could never afford a POS system before. Whereas when we launched this product, it opened up the whole market to the SME market. It was completely disruptive. Nothing like it existed. But you guys didn't have any funding, right? So how were you able to grow that initial team uh, you know, and recruit them and then it get even all the way into international expansion? Yeah, no, that, that is amazing. I, even I don't know sometimes how we did it <laughs> um, because I, I would say in the early days, like we had we had tough, aggressive targets. So we, we made it's, it's not we're not a pure SaaS business. First of all, I want to say this because. Other businesses in our space are purely SaaS. They'll sell on iPads, you know, they'll make $69 a month. Um, that is not enough to fund international expansion. So you need venture capital for that. But our model was very unique because we captured revenue from the customer for the hardware up front, as well as a subscription on a recurring basis, a monthly recurring basis. And because it's a need for a business, the churn rate is so low. It's not like, I'm going to try this bit of software for a year for an analytics software and just churn off it. It's like you need a POS system. And most people who buy one don't churn for three or four years. So 
the, the way we were able to fund it was that the sales guys would carry aggressive targets of, say, you know, $50,000, $60,000 a month each of hardware. And that and every customer that sign up would be on the recurring as well. And every time you add a new salesperson, you know, you're bolstering the revenue. The other thing we, we, we were one of the first tech companies to do as well in the UK was mobilize the support team to sell, upsell. They had targets as well. They weren't just sitting there just handing support. They were upselling, cross-selling. So, you know, we were able to build up the revenue very quickly, even with only 20 people. I guess the, the key to success there was, um, you know, ag aggressive growth targets with the sales team, uh, incentives to the sales team based on that growth. Like when we hit 10% growth this month, the first three people get this prize, 30% growth, 20% growth. So we were linking the growth of the business to the incentivizing the the reps on the support and sales team as well. So as, as opposed to just being individual uh, quota, right? It was you were linking that to the growth. I, I like that. Now I know your process is a very rigorous uh, process today, completely built on data. So how how did you end up developing that as the team grew, and what metrics do you really look at? A lot of it was just you know just seeing what worked we started off with the basics like literally the basics is revenue this is your target literally that was it we started off like that then we started fleshing it out and and that's where i came in because i started you know utilizing um you know the data to be like look how do we work back from this target so we need to be looking at things like calls we need to be looking at things like talk time things like demos booked demos completed turn up rate for the demos whose demos are dropping out you know opportunities generated pipeline built so now we've got you know eight or nine key metrics that i measure for the sales team but it took a while to kind of get to that stage in the early days it was it was very basic it was like number of number of demos number of proposals and revenue that was it we didn't even have a call tracking system in place so as you were doing that though and building that from scratch as you said baptism by fire how were you using that data to coach the team how were you improving them at that point we were, I was tracking it on a weekly basis. So I've built weekly trackers for each rep. So we'd set their KPIs for the individual KPIs. So, you know, like say 10, de 10 ops a week, seven demos a week, whatever, right? So you just be checking in with the rep on a weekly basis. Obviously, all of this is automated and tracked through Salesforce. Every time they complete a demo, it updates it. There's no kind of manual. I have to log that call. I have to log that demo. I have to log that talk time. It's all tracked. Definitely one of the best things you can do as a sales leader is automate all of that because reps will forget. They won't be bothered. They will lie, whatever. So you just automate all of that. So basically what it's about is getting those key KPIs down on a weekly basis and then understanding where their gaps are and using a combination of coaching and accountability. I think too many sales leaders are doing either one or the other. They'll be like, you know, you need to pick up your demos. But then they'll either go too hard on the rep the next week if they don't pick up and build that resentment and that kind of like, oh, this guy doesn't really care about me feeling. Um, or they'll just go too much coaching and then it's kind of like the rep can still underperform and there's no kind of consequences. So what I like to do was kind of a balance of both where I'd be heavily coaching driven, sitting in with the team. A third of my time, at least a third of my time a day was spent coaching side by side, call listening. But at the same time, I'd have that daily accountability if they weren't doing it. You know, you, you want to make them feel like you are watching them in some respect. And if they're not on point, then you, you, you don't wait another week. You're on that daily.
you know, and, and then so the, what that what that does is that builds up a, a team of people who are self-sufficient, who don't need micromanaging. And the people that do need micromanaging aren't really the right fit anyway. So they're weeded out quickly. I, I seriously love hearing that because too many sales leaders that I talk to, their main way of coaching or even main way of talking about accountability is like, how much did you close? And once you've gotten to that point, like it doesn't matter. We can't control the outcome. The only thing that we can control is our inputs, our daily behaviors. And so the fact that you're doing that on that daily and weekly basis, like that's where the stuff really hits home for the reps and actually has some impact. I love hearing that. Yeah, it needs to be, it needs to be done. It needs to be tracked. I mean, I, I hear too many of these. I mean, I've got friends that work in corporate sales and they have a one-to-one -one check in every couple of weeks. And there's a lot of good processes in these large corporates, but there isn't enough urgency. Like if you want to grow 10, 15% a month, you need to do what these large corporates do, but better and quicker and have more urgency about it. It's no good just leaving them to do what they do and hopefully checking in in two weeks and they've been doing it. You need to be on the data every day. And if you let a couple of days start going out of hand and you let that kind of weed come through the, uh, the soil and start strangling the other plants, like you cannot allow that to happen in a startup. When you've got an established corporate business with senior leaders around and HR processes and and really structured um, really structured processes, you know you can kind of you can get away with it if you want to, but that that will kill a startup. Totally with you there. One of the things that I read in one of your your sales hacker articles, David, is you know you talk about you're you're really only as good as your as your last month. But how do you do that when you when you're growing as much as you guys were and still are? How do you sustain that high growth and high performance mentality without burning out your your reps? What it's essential to do as a sales leader is you need to understand what motivates them first of all. Like I know that's everyone says that, but have you realistically sat down and worked out like? a 12 month plan of where they want to be, what they want to be earning, what, what, what position they want to be. Have you really reverse engineered that plan like you would their KPIs? Or have you just gone, oh, so you want to run your own business one day? Oh, that's fine. And then just, or, or you want to save up for that house? Oh, that's cool. And then like every time you see them, you go, how's that house saving going? Like that doesn't really work. Like I've helped like my guys put budgetary plans in place for their personal finances. I empower them with different projects. So they can kind of go off and start, you know, preparing like some, some of the assessments for new starters. I make them like mini coaches for the new starters. Like the biggest thing, I, the biggest bit of advice I would say is first of all, understand their intrinsic motivations and, and make sure that you check in weekly on those and make sure you're on, on those all the time. Second of all, empower them with little external projects. Like I had two of my top guys here, you know, they've been working with the marketing team to rebuild all the email cadences um, for our business, you know, and, and they're, 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 they're fairly inexperienced to do that job, but they're working with senior guys in the UK to, to do that. And, 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 and they value that input. Like at the end of the day, you know, they, they can't, you can't, they can't just come in every day and do a few calls, make a bit of pipeline and you think they're going to be happy for like, you know, the rest of their life, you know, that you need to be constantly thinking about what's the next step for this person. How do I keep this person on the bus? And how do I keep them motivated? Because then that allows you to build not a personal relationship with them, but, you know, you, you, you take control of their own success. And in a way, it allows you to then go tougher on them if they're if they're struggling, because, you know, that they're, they know that you're looking out for their best interest. You're kind of tying their their personal goals to their daily performance and, and being able to sync those up together, sounds like. Exactly.
that's exactly what I'm doing. So I know you're, you know, you, you said at the top of the show and, and it's, I know it's just a passion that you have is growing leaders. So when you talk about coachability and you talk about hiring a player, some of the stuff that I've read from you, you know, you've got some questions like who was the best coach you ever had in your life and why, and, and tell me about a time you failed or something didn't quite go your way. What are, what are you looking for, David? When, when you ask those questions, I know you're, you're going to listen to the answer, but what are you looking for? I guess what I'm really looking for is like passion. Um, and a good attitude so if for example they can talk passionately when they explain you know they're animated and they're they're getting really into what they're saying then you know they're a kind of passionate person um you know even some of the biggest we've got a lot of introverts here for example who are not party animals they're not all-star baseball players in college and they're some of our best reps so it's not just about hiring that competitive football player out of university because if anything, like that hasn't, that doesn't really work in our business. I don't, maybe it'll work in other companies, but I, I found here that even, even, in the, even the biggest introverts have like passion and a really good attitude. Yeah, I, I picked up some resilience in there as well. So David, I got to take a quick break so that we can uh, thank our sponsors. When we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Sales tuners, I want to tell you about Costello a new product I've been exploring for discovery calls. One of the things I hear most from VPs of sales is their frustration with the lack of consistency and transparency from their reps in the discovery process. If that's you, you need to check out Costello. Costello guides reps to ask the right questions, provides them with dynamic suggestions, automatically updates Salesforce, and even makes it easy to form the habits that ultimately close more deals. For a demo, Head to andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back and it's time for the money round. David, are you ready for the money round? I'm ready. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? My CEO. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? definitely be learning something every day, reading every book possibly out there on B2B sales. Which phrase describes you best and why I love to win or I hate to lose? I love to win because sales is 99% depression, 1% elation. And I love that feeling when you close that deal and, or you win, or you win that fight and you, and, and you just have that sense of rush that goes over you. Whereas hate to lose a bit more negative. I have never heard that before, but I promise you that will be part of the tweets uh, when we put this show out. So, David, what's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? There's two books. One, from a fiction point of view, I love The Alchemist. Um, that's, that's an awesome book about, about uh, you know, that, that's, that's really awesome. You should read that. Uh, from a B2B sales side of things, The Challenger Sale. And the Challenger customer, probably two books in the same series that really changed the way we sell at Epos now. So those two books there. I also am a big fan of The Alchemist, and I'm pretty sure that one's not on Audible. But uh, Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out David's suggestions of The Challenger Sale or The Challenger Customer for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. David, what's something that you believe that nearly no one agrees with you on? For my sales guys, it's call your lead within 10 minutes and you'll get a better qualification rate. So um, <laughs> that's, that, that, that's kind of like they argue, argue me all the time about that. 
Hey, I like that. It's funny that your your team pushes back on you uh, on on your own thing there. So, uh, what's uh, what's the biggest piece of advice, David, that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? I think the biggest piece of advice is make sure you've got a goal at the end of the tunnel and it's worth it. Make sure you know exactly what you're fine for and be prepared to make that sacrifice. You know, if you, if you want to be a multimillionaire, if you want to have a Ferrari, if you want to have a nice place, if you want to be a business owner, you know, there is a serious amount of sacrifice involved. I mean, for me, I love doing it for the entrepreneurial spirit and, and the sales side of things and growing businesses from nothing. I mean, I've done it. That's all I know. I've only ever done that for the last six years. So I would say, yeah, make sure if, if you, whatever you want, you know, you, you, you are prepared to sacrifice relationships, time off, holidays, friends, everything, um, you know, in, in achieving that goal. I'm going to get you out of here on this one. How could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after the show today? Yeah, obviously I'm on LinkedIn. So you just search my name on LinkedIn um, or my email is david.duncan at epostnow.com. But you know, just drop me a message on email or LinkedIn and I'll get back to you. David, this has been great. Thank you so much for your time today. No problem. Thanks, Jim. David is such a humble guy. And while I already admitted to being afraid of him, if I ever saw him in the streets, I learned a lot from his trial by fire. I want to get to my top takeaways. Number one, set tough, aggressive targets. I've always struggled with the concept of quota and quota attainment. Yes, of course, we have to have goals for ourselves. But in my opinion, these should be the minimum expectations, not the end result. Whether your quota is 100000 or $1 million, set your targets more aggressive. For instance, if you set an outlandish number of, say, 10x your goal and build your prospecting plan from there, you're going to easily overshoot all expectations and leave your company wondering where they even got the number to begin with. Number two, balance personal coaching with professional accountability. Too many salespeople focus solely on the end result, asking, how much did you close? And I'm sorry, but this is the wrong question and a sign you're working for a poor sales leader. The only thing we can control is our daily behaviors and activities. That's why it's incredibly important to hold yourself accountable to consistent inputs. This is also where the balance of coaching should come into play. You can't wait weeks to get the coaching you need for daily behavior. Number three, tie personal goals to performance. What are the intrinsic motivations that cause you to do what you do? Essentially, what is your why? Whether it's buying a new house, raising a kid, or just leveling up in your career, Tying these personal goals to your daily behavior creates the constant effort needed for long-term achievement. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions you'd like me to ask our guests, please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. Be sure to sign up for our email list where we send out expanded content and previews of upcoming guests. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there.